Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Jeff Meyerson. Jeff, do you want to say hello? Hello. How's it going, Chuck? It's going all right. Do you want to just let people know who you are? I mean, we've talked a bunch of times, but... Sure. I run a podcast called Software Engineering Daily and work on a couple other software projects, but I think Software Engineering Daily is what I'm most known for. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Yeah, and we had you on um, JavaScript Jabber episode 379. Talked about find collabs and podcasting and a bunch of stuff like that. Um, This... This show is more focused on sort of your programming journey and how you got into things like JavaScript. So what we're going to just back way up and, and get a little bit of a start to your software career. And maybe even before, how did you get into programming? The first programming experience I had was in a music production tool called FL Studio. And I still use that tool today. I didn't really know that it was like programming back then, but that is the thing that I have programmed the most in, which is maybe some people don't think of it as programming, but a music production app is much like a uh, interactive development environment. So it's much like a high-level IDE. And then the first time I set up a database was actually for a poker application because I started playing poker and there was a tool that you needed to collect uh, hand histories that you played. And mm. uh, in order to do that, you had to set up a database, which I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was able to follow the directions. Makes sense. That's funny. It's funny to me how many people come in sort of the traditional route where it's, well, I went to school and I did computer science and blah, blah, blah. And then how many people it's, well, I had this other hobby and I needed to do program stuff. Exactly. And, uh, and yeah, it, some of the people I admire most, that's the way they came in. And I'm just like, that, that's really cool in my opinion. I always think about the Dan Abramoff story where he started in like PowerPoint or Excel uh-huh. or something. And, you know, he just fell in love with it. And, you know, like of all the ways you could come into programming, learning, you know, the APIs for PowerPoint or, you know, the subtle... Uh, technical notions of PowerPoint, you know, is kind of more unexpected route. Yeah. That guy's a glutton for punishment, though. Yeah. Served him well. Yeah, it sure has. So uh, anyway, so you get in your, your uh, now was it composing music or just? Yeah, what, composing what you, music. Okay. I mean, the way, the way it works, uh, and if, if there's any programmers out there who uh, have a familiarity with music and they're looking for a new hobby, I would definitely encourage checking out a digital audio workstation like FL Studio or Ableton 
because it is very much like programming. You have these different layers of abstraction that are similar to methods. You have these different layers of abstraction that are similar to objects, and you compose them together. And then you just press play, and it's much like that first feeling when you press, you know, compile and run, and you see Hello World, and it's, you know, like magical. Right. Makes sense. I'm actually uh, on the cusp of starting a songwriting podcast with my daughter, with my 12-year-old. So No way. Yeah, so that, that should be interesting to see where that takes us. But Are you a musician? Not really. I took uh, some piano lessons when I was a kid. I was in choir in high school. Okay. Well, uh, she's really into it. So we're, we're actually going to be interviewing um, composers and other musicians and seeing how they make music. I have two resources to recommend to you. One, oh, nice. one is called Secrets of Songwriting. It's a, it's a fantastic website about uh-huh. learning the basics of songwriting. Uh, and uh, I've, I've used that endlessly. And another is called hooktheory.com. And hook theory is um, is just a place where you can yeah it's a place where you can basically see how songs fit together mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's very useful. You can look up your favorite songs and just see how they work uh, from a music theory standpoint. It's I've found it to be an invaluable resource. I, I've I've had a lot of trouble learning music theory, and so these these two resources are things that have allowed me to break through. So. Right, and they're both blogs. One is a blog. One is like a a like an action script tool okay. or something, you know, like it doesn't even work on a phone. I don't think it's like one of the, what is the, what's that, that plugin thing, thing that doesn't work in the browser anymore. Or it doesn't work in Safari at least. Like Steve Jobs decided it wasn't going to oh, work. Oh, Flash? Flash. Yeah. I think it's Flash. Oh, wow. Yeah. Chrome warned, warned you about six ways to Sunday when you try and use Flash. So maybe it's not Flash, but I don't think it works on your phone. Yeah. Well, I'll have to check it out and see where we uh, end up. But yeah. So do you write your own music? Maybe we'll have you on that show too. <laughs> uh, I do. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like writing music. Yeah. Yeah. She's made up like two or three songs and she sung them to us. And then we're like, I'm not an expert, but that sounds like, you wow. know, like a song that wow. like a real, a real songwriter would write. Right. Amazing. It's not just, yeah. So, and, and she's way into it. And so I'm like, well, and, know, she's, and I, she's playing piano while she sings. No, she doesn't play the piano. Um, She doesn't really play an instrument at all. So I'm looking to, yeah, get her some guitar lessons or piano lessons or something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which one do you think is, what's the best one to start with? Guitar or piano? I don't know. I've only done piano lessons. I've done, I take that back. I did guitar lessons, but I didn't apply myself. So um, I don't know. I think it really just kind of depends on where you want to end up. Um, You have made a career out of button pressing. Yes. And I've been tempted to actually just go get one of those uh, self-paced piano lessons that you just get online. And you just, you know, play along with the video or whatever. But sure, yeah, they need a Peloton for uh, for like playing keyboard. Oh, there you go. Yeah, request for startups. <laughs> yep. Anyway, so so yeah, so you get into that. How did you wind up getting into? Uh, I'm assuming you've done what? Web development, JavaScript? How did you get into that? I have done some JavaScript. Uh, the first JavaScript I wrote was uh, at a, uh, a trading company that I worked at. So mm-hmm. I was rendering like some financial data on a screen. And then I did a little bit of, 
uh, animation stuff. I remember like using Canvas and looking at W3 schools and like right. how to module, uh, modify canvases and stuff. That was kind of fun. And then I put, took a pretty long break from JavaScript until I uh, started doing a little bit of Vue.js, a little bit of React. Mm-hmm. Never gone super deep in terms of actually using JavaScript, but certainly in studying it. And of course, I've listened to your podcast a fair amount. And you know, JavaScript is it has become such a weird ecosystem. Uh, and yeah. like such a, you know, um, primordial, it's like it's just fu- so funny, the primordial soups that develop into, uh, into very serious, uh, you know, heavy, important projects, which is what JavaScript is. So I just find it a hilarious right. study in that regard. Yeah, we want JavaScript to run here. Okay, let's do it. I wonder if there's any, like, I wonder if all these Boeing disasters are because they're actually using like Node. In, they're trying to use Node for embedded systems or something. You know, it's like you got to wonder yeah. where isn't JavaScript. That's true. Well, the part of the thing is, is even before Node, a lot of systems had embedded browsers of some kind with a JavaScript runtime, and so it's kind of evolved to run everywhere, or at least in some form, you were able to run it everywhere. And then Node just kind of blew that wide open. So. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been kind of interesting to see that evolution because we started JavaScript Jabber a little bit before Node really started to get any traction. And so initially we were just talking about web development with JavaScript and then it kind of grew from there. So well, And then the, the move towards typing, I find really interesting. Yeah. Like you basically, it used to be for me, JavaScript is the place you go if you don't like Java. And now it's yeah. like, you could probably, there probably is a system where you can write Java and it like transpiles to JavaScript. And it's probably like pretty straightforward transpile. Or like you, you it write wouldn't in shock me. You write in Java and it transpiles yeah. to TypeScript. And you're like, all right, Java in the browser, finally. <laughs> you know, AJ O'Neill on JavaScript Java has kind of made that point a couple of times where it's like, yeah, it's just .NET, except it's JavaScript, except it's .NET. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I, I feel you there. It's interesting, too, because... ASP.js? Yeah. Well, it's funny because we've seen this, again, it's this movement, right, where uh, the tooling on TypeScript's been so great. And I think that's really what's converted people, that, yeah, they're, they're using it. And it's had such an influence that, I mean, I remember the diehard Rubyists that were just like, types, ugh. And now everybody's talking about Sorbet, which is a type system for Ruby. For sure. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. So, so what has your uh, programming career entailed then? So you've done the, the trading and financial information. What else have you done and what have you done it in? A lot of Java backend, a um, little bit of React stuff on the front end, uh, just working on my own projects. Uh, that's mostly it. Mm-hmm. Most of the programming has been Java backend stuff, mostly for like large, large companies. Gotcha. Very cool. And uh, yeah, so what, what have you done with React and Vue then? Or what kind of brought you back around to doing front-end JavaScript? Vue was for Software Daily, which is our, uh, like the, the web app version that we made for our uh, WordPress site. And it basically scrapes our WordPress and builds a, a front-end that we, we use. And then React uh, was for Find Collabs. And then also for uh, a previous company that I was working on, um, 
that I will return to eventually called Add for Prize, which is uh, another re- large React application. Nice. So, so it's all been on your own stuff then? Pretty much, yeah. Nice. So at this point, um, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit of podcasting for a minute. I know we talked about it on JavaScript Jabber, but I love getting the story there too. How did you, how did you wind up finding podcasts? I started with Software Engineering Radio, which uh-huh. is, uh, you and I both know that podcast well. Yep. Uh, and uh, I reached out to them because they had a call for hosts, much like you do in, in many of your, um, your podcasts. And uh, I reached out and Robert Blumen, who was the editor in 2013, mm-hmm. he's still the editor. He uh, uh, was willing to bring me on for a shot. And I did a bunch of shows with Etsy Radio. And I loved it so much that uh, a couple years later, two or three years later, I started Software Engineering Daily and basically uh, 5X'd my Software Engineering Radio uh, output. Well, more than 5X, but I've turned Software Engineering Radio into something I would be doing all the time. Uh, right. so that's, that's in a nutshell. Nice. So Software Engineering Daily is, is not part of Software Engineering Radio? That's correct. Yes. It's basically like a fork. <laughs> I like I like that. That makes sense. Um, so yeah. So how long have you been doing it now? Four years. Four years. Wow, that's a long time. Lots of podcasts come and go in months. So that that's amazing. Uh, who's been your favorite guest to have? I mean, besides me. Yeah, uh, Hasim Qureshi is probably my favorite guest because he's a uh-huh. he's an old friend. We go way back. And we got a lot of shared history, and he's just a uh, a guy I respect a lot. It, what what episode do you feel like all of your listeners ought to go back and find for, for their own growth? Wow. Um, it kind of depends what you're looking for. Um, you know, the first one that comes to mind is actually, there's an episode I did called Investment Games, which, mm-hmm. is, uh, which is a show about venture investing with a, a guy named Brian Singerman. Uh, okay. he's, an, he's a venture investor at Founders Fund. And he's got a, a unique take on uh, venture investing. Um, Founders Fund is kind of an eccentric organization. And uh, so that, that conversation covered such a broad range of topics uh, that it really stands out as one that was fun to me. Nice. That makes sense. It's interesting, too, because it's a, it's a different take, right? You're talking about funding instead of programming. Yeah. But I think a lot of times people kind of take for granted some of the things that aren't part of their job or at least part of their day-to-day. And so, yeah, I, I like that take. Sure. Well, and he was a, he's a software engineer, or he was right. a software engineer. So okay. he has you know, the background in computer science, which obviously underpins a lot of the, the best investments right. that one, one can make in venture. Yep. No, that makes a ton of sense. Is there anything that you're working on these days that you want people to know about? Find Collapse, for sure, which mm-hmm. we talked about in the last show. You know, Find Collapse is the company around collaboration and project creation that I'm working on. Basically the premise is that if you are looking for collaborators for a project, or you have your own project that you're looking for other collaborators for, mm-hmm. Find Collabs is a place you can go and meet other people to work with on those projects uh, and create projects. You can also treat it as a kind of scratch board for ideas. And there's a gamification element to it. There's kind of a creative uh, and competitive element to it. So um, yeah, I would just check out Find Collabs if you're if you're a creator, and um, and then I'm also working on some music that um, you know I'm, I'm still very passionate about. But 
you know, my music is, is not something that's really like, you know, uh, front and center in terms of the, the things that I'm known for. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, you know, hopefully one day. Yeah. Well, if people want to find your music, is it online somewhere? Or? It is. It's on all the popular streaming sites. Gotcha. The, the Prion is my name. E-R-I-O-N. Nice. We'll, we'll get links into the show notes for that too. Sweet. Um, so is software engineering daily your full-time thing now? Or are you, oh. are you kind of part-time consulting or part-time working for somebody else? Or? Software engineering daily is the main thing. You know, I work on these other projects, but uh, software engineering daily is kind of the, the bread and butter. Yep. Yeah, I understand that. Hi, I'm Charles Maxwood. You've probably heard me on a lot of the shows on devchat.tv. The language that got me into programming and taught me to love it was Ruby. And eventually I got together with a bunch of my friends and we started the podcast Ruby Rogues. And that's how devchat.tv got its start. Ruby Rogues has been running since 2011 and has had conversations with a lot of people from the wider programming community that you've probably heard of, as well as very focused episodes with people from the Ruby community. If you're doing Ruby, if you love Ruby, if you're building tools in Ruby, then you should check out Ruby Rogues and you can find it at rubyrogues.com. Um, and I'm assuming you're ad supported like we are. That's correct. We do a little bit of the subscription stuff. You know, I think we could go into a long discussion around how subscriptions are probably some component of the future, but it's not, it's not certain when that future arrives or right. how worthwhile it is to pursue that future before it arrives. Right. Um, so we've done like kind of a separate app thing where you can mm-hmm. you know, subscribe to, to get ad free episodes in a separate app, which, which we've built. Right. Um, you know, some people don't really believe in that model. I don't know. I mean, hard to say, like, what do you think about subscriptions? <laughs> You're asking me. Um, I'm, I'm kind of on the same page there. It's, it's something that I've looked at. It's something that I feel like I want to do, but there are, yeah. Well, the other thing is, is that, yeah, it's, it's overhead that I'm currently not expending, right? Starting new shows. I already have the infrastructure for it. I already have the people in place for it. I know what I'm doing there. So it's just a matter of getting the, the wheel turning, right? Um, with something like that, I'd have to go and figure things out, plug it all in and hook it all up and make it all work. And yeah, it's just a little bit. It's yeah. Anyway, that, that's kind of where I'm at. So yeah, I, I, think, I think that may be a place we go to in the future. Um, people are still trying to figure out podcast monetization. Um, I think the most common model for people that are kind of making it their full-time thing is the ad supported. Um, and then probably after that is something like Patreon where it's, you know, it's listener supported. Um, and then beyond that, yeah, it's, it, people are selling products and things like that. And so it's usually one of the three. Um, I mean, the Patreon success cases, the really big ones are pretty promising case studies. Yeah, so I think I think there's I think that's definitely an avenue that we'll see more of for a lot of reasons, because like you don't even need that. Like, I don't know about you, but like, you know, once I got kind of beyond the break even point for podcasting, I was like, this is just all gravy because, you know, once you get to the break even point, you're just a very you're living yeah. a, a, a kind of a happy existence to, to some extent. It's like a, at least a self-actualized existence because you're yeah. you're working on something that you actually are passionate about, which for entrepreneurs is really just a magical a magical feeling and then you know yeah. everything after that's kind of gravy um, i mean you've got a family so probably there's a little bit of difference there but so my point there is just that patreon i think promises to create that situation for a lot more creators in the world because 
the way I always think about it from a demand side perspective is there's still so much media I consume where I'm like, meh, I'm kind of like impartial about consuming this media. I'm sort of like doing it because I want to be entertained or it's like reasonably good quality. And you just right. have to imagine there are more creators out there where if you could say like, hey, creator, like if, if you make this content, I'll give you a dollar a month. Mm-hmm. Think of all the people in the world. I just I can think of friends I have where I'd be like, look, if you produce a show every week, I will pay you a dollar every week because right. you're telling enough personality. And I would rather listen to you than whatever, you know, X, you know, podcast yeah. X that I'm subscribing to. Um, so I think there's just a market opportunity for more of these Patreon people. Yeah. I, I wonder though, cause at, at a certain level, I mean, you have, you, you also have the freeloaders, right? You have all the other people that are not chipping in on the Patreon, but are getting the content for free. And so it, I can see it sliding in the direction of a subscription as well. You know, where you have people because people pledge a certain amount a month and it's really not that different from a subscription, oh, sure. except that the, the uh, access isn't exclusive. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an open question whether Patreon is the vessel through which this the ultimate vessel through which this yeah. occurs. Um, definitely open question. Very cool. So, yeah. Um, I don't know if I have anything else to dive into in particular. I am a little bit curious since you've done both View and React. Are there things you prefer one over the other? I think React has network effects, um, which I like. Um, you know, there's just a bigger quantity of people who are using uh-huh. React. And I think there is something to uh, going with the crowd and the scale and the network effects of React. Right. I don't know. What have you seen? Um, I've only dabbled in React and Vue. I've done a bit more with Angular. To be honest, Vue is the one that I'm probably most interested in except that I kind of want to do a mobile app and I don't know if I really want to do native script because I know a lot more people that do react native. So it's again, it's that network effect, right? Where I know I have more people out there that I can go and grab and say, Hey, I'm, I'm having a problem with this and you know, knowing that I can get the help that I want. So that makes me lean a little more toward react, but yeah, ultimately I, I think a lot of them have a lot of pros um, it just depends on which problem set you want to adopt, really. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things, one of the proof points I saw recently with React Native was a company called uh, Career Karma. Um, uh-huh. And they actually, they have a pretty heavy media uh, application. It's, it's kind of like, it's very, actually very similar to what a podcasting application might look like. Like if you wanted to build an application for your platform, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was just looking at this application and I was like, okay, this kind of has the social elements, it has media elements, and they actually built it entirely in React Native. Um, right. And they said, like I asked them, I was like, wow, so you, you did this in React Native. Um, how long did it take you to get it cross-platform? Because they did iOS first. Right. It took them like a day to get to go from just iOS, like they built the React Native thing in iOS first. Because uh, it's not like, it's mm-hmm. obviously not, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't port directly to right. from one to the other. You have to kind of rewrite it. You have to go down to the weeds a little bit. But they said it just took like a day to go from iOS to Android, which I think is is pretty impressive on the part of React Native. If you can go from a fully-fledged media application um, in iOS to to Android in a single day, and you don't notice significant performance degradation, that is a pretty good sign for the world of cross-platform. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I mean, lately I've been filling in on React Native Radio. So yeah, I've, I've kind of heard some of the same things. It depends a bit on the app and how much native you need in it. But yeah, in a lot of cases, you go and you, you tweak some of the platform specific stuff and you've got something that at least mostly works. I saw you did a show on Expo recently. I haven't listened to that one yet, but I'm a fan of Charlie Cheever. So I'm wondering uh, what, did you, did you learn anything about Expo that, that stood out in that episode? Yeah, Expo provides you a whole bunch of different, essentially, uh, use cases that are mostly pre-built. And so you can pull in the Expo components and then you can, you know, customize them a little bit for what you need. And they solve a lot of the problems that are pretty common to React Native developers. Um, The only thing that I've really seen or heard is that if you don't fit the use case pretty closely, then sometimes it's more work to adapt Expo to that particular use case than it is just to find another library and integrate it yourself. Um, so, so I've kind of heard mixed reviews as far as that goes, but they really do have a lot of components in there that just make it really easy for you to pull your app together. And so are they going to do like a low code thing, like a low code, build your own mobile app kind of thing. So they have, um, I forget what it's called, but they have a web, uh, design system you can pull together. Wow. You can build your app there and then, you know, bolt everything together on, on the other end. Mm. I can't remember what it's called. I'm sure it's in the show notes. But yeah, we talked a bit about that as well. So have you thought about some really cool tools. Have you thought about doing a uh, a low code podcast? Low code? Have you heard it? Have you heard of this low code trend? Maybe you haven't heard the uh-uh. buzzword. It's the advantage of you not living in Silicon Valley. You don't hear the buzzwords as much. Uh, low low code is a trend. Um, it's it's basically the idea that there's there's these things like Airtable. Uh, there's something called Webflow mm-hmm. rec- that recently raised a bunch of money. Uh, there's a thing called Retool. Uh, there's a bunch of different tools where basically it's kind of like, uh, I'm not explaining it well, but you know how, like, you know, Wix.com, like Wix yeah. has a, have you seen like Wix code? Like they kind of have a thing where you can like take your Wix thing and then sort of plug in AWS Lambda-like functions where you can get some programmatic functionality uh-huh. together with the proprietary secret sauce of the nice UI and the drag and drop builder kind of thing. Right. And so, so the idea is it just kind of promises this world where if you're not a developer, you can build apps in low code. And then if you hire a developer or you are a developer, or you decide to learn to like development, you can go as deep as you want. So it's sort right. of like opt-in coding which to me just seems like, that seems kind of like futuristic. Yeah. Something like that would have been nice though a few years ago when I was helping my dad with his business website. Hey man, same thing with my mom. She's got a real estate website. (laughs) It's like the same thing. I originally set it up on WordPress and now I'm like, yeah, I would have done Wix or something. Yeah, I mean, even devchat.tv, we were running on WordPress for a while and I kept customizing it and customizing it more, customizing it more. And I was like, this isn't a lot of fun. No. And, you know, so now we're running it on on a Jamstack site. And that's been a really, really great transition. And it sounds like some of the same things that you're talking about here where, yeah, I've had to do a bit of coding in it to get some of the stuff that I want. And I've had to adapt an HTML layout 
But at this point, yeah, I mean, I, I drop in a couple of JavaScript functions whenever I need something new, and that's it. And mostly it's just, you know, pushing data from one place to the other. Sure. Glue code. Yep. Yeah. Tell it how to find the data and how to munge it the way I want it. So. Yeah. So uh, I think low code is a trend. Um, I don't know. You could take a look at um, You've got enough podcasts to start. Yeah. Well, I've been talking to some people that uh, folks would recognize by name in the programming community. And it looks like we're going to be pulling together shows for them next. So Sweet. Okay. Like like personality-based shows? Like the X show? Yeah, more or less. Okay. That's a good idea. And yeah, so we're working through that. And then, um, and then we're probably going to go back to some of the topical shows. Um, I've got some shows in the works for Python, AI, um, stuff like that. So Now, uh, I don't know to what extent you want to talk about this, but like, have you seen much growth on the number of advertisers who are in the game side? Because I, I think we've discussed this before where it's still, uh, I mean, to the extent that I uh, study this market, it's still shocking to me the amount of dollars spent on conferences relative to the amount of dollars spent on podcast ads. And this is like a hobby horse that I can only really discuss with like fellow yeah. podcast ad salesmen and saleswomen. Yeah. No, I, I, I'll riff on this one for a minute. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting. I mean, there are always people coming into the market and there are people that are willing to spend ad dollars. But yeah, it's, it's stunning to me how many people will or how many companies will drop thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on a conference and put up a booth and they'll have a few hundred people come by their booth or maybe even a thousand people come by their booth at the bigger conferences, right? Over the course of the conference. And yeah, sure, you get the face-to-face and you know but you're still essentially doing a presentation to try and make an impact so that they will come back um and and what what i see is you know they get my information because i give them a business card or they scan my badge and then they send me a generic email that i you know that i basically archive and so it's it's really fascinating to me how much money gets spent there where you know if if you're selling a product that i like like if you're selling a product i don't like don't talk to me because i won't take you as a sponsor We'll just put that right out there. But if I like what you've got, um, then uh, you know we should be talking because I'll give you a testimonial on the show every week. And and we're talking to, I mean, on JavaScript Jabber, we're talking to twenty plus thousand JavaScript developers, right? You know, um, for some of the other shows, it's you know, it's less than that, but still, um, you know. So we get out there, and yeah, you're getting a testimonial from somebody they trust, and I'm telling them I like it because I like it. And so, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And it'll cost them less over the year than it costs them to go to that dang conference. I know it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're smiling at me like, yeah, that's more or less how I feel about it. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's, that's one of the things why I'm optimistic about podcasting because I just think it's hilarious. Like, it's, I mean, and I'm optimistic about the developer content space more broadly just because of, yeah, like, Whenever I walk into an airport and I see the ads everywhere in the airport for software companies, and I know that these oh yeah right, it's insanity. Uh, you know, I know these companies have just like repeatedly said, "Yeah, not interested in your podcast ads," and I'm like, "Okay, yeah, that's fine. I'll wait. I got, I got. I'm patient. You know, I'm not yeah. going anywhere." Well, it's funny too because how much do they spend to get that sign in the airport that most people just walk by and don't even look at. I don't know. And I don't know. I mean, the, the software ads, I have to say, um, 
they're more common in Silicon Valley than they are, say, here in Salt Lake. But they still show up here, right? They, they're still here. And, like, what, uh, like, like Cloudflare or Twilio or like what's how, how or AWS, like how big does a company have to be to all advertise in Salt Lake City? Uh, usually they're local companies, actually. So oh. they, they provide a global data solution of some kind or technology solution. But they're based <laughs> I don't here. know what a global data solution is. So something like AWS, right, where everybody okay. can use it around the world. So it is a cloud solution kind of thing. But yeah, they're based here. And so for whatever reason, they're advertising here. Um, I think I've seen a Twilio ad here in Salt Lake. Um, I think I've seen an AWS ad, but not a whole lot more. Maybe a Google pl Cloud pl platform or something. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, it's usually local companies. And it's either we're hiring or it's, hey, we can solve this particular problem for you. And so they're a SaaS of some kind. And they're, they're kind of doing a global reach or a you know, Western US reach or something. But yeah, it's funny because I'll drive down the road and I'll be like, yeah, we've had somebody from that company on our show and somebody from that company on our show. And, you know, and, and so I understand the technology behind it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just kind of interesting. Uh, there was a lot more of it. I've, I've been to San, San Francisco a couple times this year, uh, San Jose once. And yeah, you, you have a lot more of it just driving through town or on, you know, on the buses or whatever you take. And yeah. So it's a little bit different, not as common here, but w once you get into Salt Lake, so I live just outside of Salt Lake County. So there, there's a tech community here. And so there's a little bit around here, but once you get into Salt Lake, you see a little bit more of it, mm. but yeah, it's crazy. It's like build your software, your software on our infrastructure. And then, you know, you're putting it on a billboard as I'm driving down the freeway. That's crazy. Madness. Have you been thinking about building a mobile application? but you're a web developer and you're not really sure you want to learn Swift or Objective-C or Kotlin or Java or any of the languages that are used natively by those platforms, well, you should check out React Native. React Native is a platform managed by Facebook. You can share a lot of your state management and other logic code between your applications. And we have a podcast that talks about all of the issues and all of the advantages of using React Native. And you can check that out at reactnativeradio.com. All right. Well, if people want to find you online, uh, go check out Software Engineering Daily or anything like that. Where do they go? Yeah. Uh, Software underscore daily on Twitter. That has links to my stuff. Finds Collabs. You can follow me on Finds Collabs. And the underscore Prion. Um, yeah. The underscore Prion on Twitter is my personal account. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, how many listeners do you have on Software Engineering Daily? Uh, so it's, it's like 30,000 in in a, a given day which is you know across um like all the episodes right so who knows like how many of those downloads or listens who knows how right. many, I, so welcome we'll come to <laughs> podcast numbers exactly yes <laughs> yes that's right yeah yeah, yeah. so I, I, get it. I mean um you know client it sounds like the client analytics are are are, are poised to get better quite soon um, there are people talking about it for sure. Well, there's the infrastructure is getting built out. I think like the clients are bu are buying in the hosting providers like Libsyn are buying in. Um, you know, it's, that's a pretty good sign. I think maybe, um, yeah, it, it really just comes down to adoption. The other thing is, is it also comes down to how much the podcasters and or sponsors care. 
Yeah, which they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> which is the hilarious part. It's all red herrings. But the it red is. herrings, red herrings actually matter in this insane world of of marketing. Yeah, you you give them those numbers so that they can feel good about investing in you. That's that's what it's down to. So, Pretty much. So they can go tell their boss, "I really like this." And what it can, what they're saying is, is I really like Jeff. Yes, more or less. So, very cool. Well, we're gonna do some picks here at the end. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and uh, get us rolling here. Um, so, uh, I got on the scale yes, you know, Saturday, and uh, I had got, gotten below 220 pounds. Just hey, man, you look good. Yeah, I've That's lost funny. since this time last year. I've lost about 40 pounds. So, you gotta, uh, well, I heard you talking. What was the last time you were talking about the 70 hit hard 75? 75 hard? Yeah, 75 hard. Yeah, how's that so, going? So, I uh I had to restart about 15. To, I'm on day 15 again. Um, this is this is where I broke down last time. Um, but this time I'm going to stick it out for 60 more days and just get it done. So, um, but yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it. I'm I'm training for a marathon. Um, nice. And I've been eating keto, and I'm just I'm I'm really feeling great about it. Um, some of the things I'm using for that, and I'm just going to throw those out here on the show because that's kind of where my brain is at this point. Um, so right before I came up to talk to you, I, I had to go and, uh, mess with the meat in the smoker. So I have a, Ooh. Um, a Mastercraft smoker. It's just a, it's, it looks like a mini fridge and it's electric, but it smokes me. What are you cooking? Ribs. Yeah. Beef come on beef. over, man. Beef or pork? Pork. Nice. I will. I'll, next time in Salt Lake City, let's, let's make some ribs. Yeah, let's do it. Or, uh, a brisket. We need a longer, we're looking to get a longer, well, I don't know, I guess you could, you could the slow cook pork is good. Yeah, brisket, oh man, I haven't made a brisket in a while. My wife complains every time I do it because uh, briskets aren't cheap, but uh, it's a lot of meat and it, uh, it lasts us a while, so. Um, there's also, I mean, if, if you like the fatty cuts, I find that the, the best ratios of fat, I hope vegetarians aren't listening, the best ratios of fat to, uh, to meat Per, per pound are uh, pork belly and pork shoulder. Yeah. Um, and those are just like super flavorful. And for some reason, nobody ever wants them. Like you yeah, get them well, in the discount bin. Oh, people buy pork belly all the time. It's just sliced and smoked and they, we call it bacon. That's true. But it, no. like, you don't need any of that stuff. Like you don't know. It's just delicious. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, the pork shoulder, um, which fun, is funny. They also call it pork butt, but the pork butt is on the shoulder as well. Right. So yeah, any of those are they're yeah they're good fat filled, and I've been eating keto, and keto is high fat. So oh yeah, yeah that that lines up really well for me. But yeah, I love that stuff. Um, I went down to Smith's, which is a grocery store here in in Utah. I don't know how far their reach is, but they're here. Um, and they they had a deal on meat. Um, I got some pork sirloins, uh, roasts, which isn't as fatty, but it's still good. Um, and they were selling it for. Uh, it was like 80% off. I got like 60, right. $60 worth of meat for like 10 bucks. <laughs> that happens. When you're, in, when you're in pork butt and pork belly land, that happens. Yep. So yeah, I just, you know, I would have gotten two of them, but I didn't have that much room in my freezer. In fact, today we, we got a, a freezer secondhand from somebody. Nice. And what, like last there's, year? There's your meat freezer. And I hadn't, I hadn't cleaned it out yet. So I went and scrubbed it out because my wife's like, if we get any more meat, we need another freezer. And I'm like, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Challenge accepted. 
So yeah, so I, I went and scrubbed it out and plugged it in and it fired right up. So you, do you make broth ever? You do you get bone broth going? Uh sometimes we do have some broth bones in one of the freezers somewhere. Nice. But yeah. And that that's a good way to go, especially if you're doing an extended fast or anything. But, For sure. Exactly. Yeah. So man, it's turned into a real podcast. We're talking about we're talking oh, about man. we're talking about keto and uh and intermittent fasting. Yeah. <laughs> we we we've we have now satisfied podcast bingo. That's right. If you're looking for a good keto podcast, by the way, Two Keto Dudes by uh, Carl Franklin and um, Richard. I can't remember his last name, but uh, Carl, Carl's a good friend of mine. Is that the podcasting guy? They're the, uh, the Microsoft... Uh... Rocks. Yep. Okay. That All Carl right. Franklin. Yep. Yeah. And uh, it's not Richard Campbell, who's his partner in crime for .NET Rocks. Okay. It's, it's another Richard who lives in Australia, and they, they geek out over the keto stuff. Okay. And uh, just terrific stuff. Um, they also have a forum that they've set up, ketogenicforums.com. Um, it's a discourse forum, if you're mm. familiar with the software there. And uh, anyway, just just really cool stuff. They share recipes on there. Um, if you stall out on your weight loss, they can give you advice and things like that. Um, I haven't I haven't run into any of those issues yet. So, um, and, and I'm sticking to it. I think part of it's just because I run so much that I can get away with not being as strict. Like I, I try not to eat any carbs if I can and keep my protein con- uh, content of my diet down. But, you know, I, I don't track it every day because it, because I'm losing the weight anyway and I feel great. So yeah, anyway, sure. but I also have the Wiving scale. And so that tracks my uh, weight and body fat percentage. And that's super nice too, because um, I've... Uh, there, there was a week there where I didn't lose any weight, but my body fat percentage was steadily going down. Oh. And so I was putting on muscle as fast as I was taking fat off. Nice. So, as, at least as far as my body fat percentage goes. I know that it's not the same, you know, uh, you know, pound for pound for body fat percentage or whatever. But anyway, so yeah, so that's been really, really great. So right, that, that's kind of the stuff that I've been doing. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm loving it. Good to hear. How about you, Jeff? Do you have some things you want to shout out about? Sure. Uh, I'll start with the uh, the anti uh, anti keto with the rice cooker. Uh, I got a rice cooker recently. Oh, and, nice. Uh, I have uh, kind of you know speaking of diet, I kind of vacillated from the keto to like I tried carnivore for a while, mm. and you know I've been a vegan before. I try, sort of like rotate through all these different fad diets, and uh, now I'm kind of doing it just a, a fairly multifaceted diet. And, uh, and so my, my brother, my older brother kept lecturing me on, uh, on, on getting a rice cooker. And, uh, I almost burned down my apartment a couple of weeks ago with, uh, with some, um, I was actually, <laughs> I was cooking rice while working on music and uh, I had my headphones on mm-hmm. and I got really in the zone, you know, as like, as us yep. singers do. And, uh, and I just like kept smelling something. I was like, I don't know what that smell is, but like, I don't really care. I just kept working and, and, you know, eventually I just hear, start hearing beep, beep, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, that serves probably as a warning to anybody who, uh, you know, cares about their safety and is considering coming over to my house for dinner. Um, but that's, you know, I, I rarely, um, you know, uh, commit self-endangerment. But uh, when I do, it's with cooking rice. And that's why I bought a rice cooker. Nice. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember because we had one. We also had one that went in the microwave, and that was also nice because, again, you just it's the same idea, right? When, when the microwave turns off, it stops cooking the rice. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, but yeah, pretty, pretty much. But like, at least you get you get time timing there. Yeah. Like stoves, untimed stoves that are not yeah. self regulating. There's something like primitive about that relative to uh, to what we can do with computers these right. days. Right. Um, you know, not to uh, absolve myself of the user error of nearly burning down my apartment. Uh, I'm sure I sound like a complete idiot due to that, but you know, I'm sure the <laughs> listeners have also done something equivalently dumb. Yep. Um, yeah, rice cooker. Nice. Yeah, they're they're definitely nice to have because they also then keep your rice warm until you're ready to eat it. For sure. Yeah, what I've taken to doing as far as the rice dishes goes, because I am a sucker for Thai food mm. and and things like that, right? And so Pad Thai has the the rice noodles. Yeah. Uh, um, you get the curries and they usually come with steamed rice. Yeah. So what I've ten- taken to doing is I order the meal with the uh, curry and they, they don't ever put the curry on the rice before they bring it to you. Yeah. And so then I just eat the curry. <laughs> sure. You can also do cauliflower rice. Oh, that's true. Or, uh, or like uh, shredded broccoli. Yeah. You know, that kind of stuff kind of fakes it out a little bit. Yeah, that's true. It, I'll have to try the cauliflower rice because that's not terribly hard to do, and it's it's pretty good substitute. So, cool. Well, uh, folks, go check out Software Engineering Daily, and um, go check out the episode where we talked about Find Collabs because I think it's a cool tool. Thanks, man. And uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk later, Jeff. Cool, Chuck. Thanks as always. Yeah. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.